Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Second round of playoffs. We're in the thick of it. The Nets seem unbeatable. The Suns are also dominating in the playoffs. The Hawks also stole one uh, from Philly in their first game. We have one LA team that moved on, which went against one of your predictions there. And then we'll get into the deposition where we'll talk about a recent Twitter spat. But first, can the Nets be stopped? Brooklyn dominated the Bucs in the first two games. And if they sweep the Bucs, who swept the reigning Eastern Conference champions, is there any chance of stopping them? I really don't think that there is. I mean, this is the team that I've been saying has easily the best roster on paper when they're healthy. When you're looking at a team that has three future Hall of Famers on it, two of which are probably two of the top 10 best scorers of all time, and the other who is probably the best ball handler of all time, we haven't even seen all three of them playing together yet. And still no one can compete with them. The ease at which they're scoring is honestly kind of scary because it doesn't seem to matter what defenses do. It seems like they have an answer because they have the ability to make bad shots consistently. You have Kevin Durant shooting 50% from three, and apparently over 70% of his three-point attempts are contested, and he's still knocking down over 50%. So, And this is with a guy, I mean, we're talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's probably what you and I would think is the best defender for Kevin Durant in the playoff field, and he's doing this to him. So I think that the Nets are pretty much, unless they get hurt, pretty much a buzzsaw for any team that runs into them, especially in the East. I don't really see much opposition being put up. Yeah, and you also have to think about with the Nets that uh, this is a team, like you're talking about, hasn't really played much together. And all, realistically, all three of these guys are, in terms of basketball shape, probably not in their best potential shape. So not in their pe- best potential shape, having not the best chemistry given their lack of minutes together. And they're still doing this, to your point, to a defensive player of the year from last year. So I think I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to stop them aside from injuries, um, but I don't, I don't see a team really stopping them. Yeah, I mean, this is what we always said about the Nets. The, the offensive weapons that they have, they have three players that on any given night could go off and score 50. The types of players that it doesn't matter if you play good defense, they can still make that tough shot consistently. And they have three of those guys. Your team would be lucky if they had one of those guys. So it's really just a tough situation. I think that the only thing that would stop a team like this would probably have to be the threat of injuries or an offense. I mean, the one weakness that they have is that they're not really a great defensive team. So a team that is versatile offensively and doesn't rely on individual matchups to score, moves the ball well, something like the Phoenix Suns are presenting, might be able to give them more of a problem than a team like the Bucks, which have a more predictable offense. Um, but I just don't see any team matching up with them in these playoffs as long as they can keep those guys healthy. It should be a Nets championship. And I think that if they don't win it all, we're all going to be sitting here saying, how did they not win this? So it's the, the bird is, is on them to pull it off, essentially. Even Blake Griffin is somehow contributing. 
Blake Griffin throws down a double-double, had some dunks there where you're like, I mean, did this guy get special treatment on his knees or something? But it seems like they're just firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but moving on to a team you just mentioned, the Phoenix Suns, even though Chris Paul was battered a little bit the first game and is dealing with that shoulder ailment, uh, they also topped the Nuggets again tonight and routed them, really. Um, so I think, to your point, their uh, ability to score on offense, but also their defensive prowess. Um, you see Jay Crowder playing the 3 and D role that he played so well with Miami last year and that he's played for his whole career, really getting into LeBron's head during the Lakers series and now helping them prevent the Nuggets from really creating anything with the arguably best big men creator uh, that's in the game today, the reigning champion of, or the reigning MVP rather, Nikolai Gokic. Um, so I think it's very impressive what the Suns are doing. And we may see a Nuggets sweep. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, there's definitely a potential to do so. There's a couple of things going on here. Um, I originally, when looking at this series, would have probably thought that this was one of the hardest series to call because I thought that this was probably one that would go all seven, because um, I, I think this team is a lot closer in talent than what we're seeing at the end of these scores. But the fact remains that the Suns are just playing their best basketball at the right time. They have a lot of things going right. It's not just that they can score on offense. It's the way that they have the ability to be versatile on offense. They can score in a lot of different ways. You can't just say, all right, the secret to stopping the Suns' offense is to stop Chris Paul from scoring or to stop Devin Booker from scoring or Aiton from scoring. I mean, if you look at this last game that they played against the Nuggets, they blew them out, and not a single person on the roster scored over 20 points. So it's not that they have one guy who boys the offense and that's it. They really are a great team, and I think that Chris Paul is – the engine that makes it go because he runs it so efficiently. I think that for me, one eye-opening thing that Chris Paul has really done is essentially make me remember the value of not just playing as a great scorer, but also limiting your turnovers. Efficiency is not just making sure that you make the majority of your shots. Efficiency is also making sure that when you have the ball on offense, you're not turning it over to the other team because you stop your team from even attempting to get a shot up when you do that. And a lot of times leads to easy baskets for the other team. So theoretically, if you can limit your turnovers, you're giving yourself a much better chance every game. And Chris Paul already has several games this playoff where he has double digit assists and zero turnovers. His averages in the playoffs have been phenomenal, honestly. Um, he's been averaging a double-double with less than three turnovers a game for a point guard. That's really hard to do. And I think that another one that we have to really mention is DeAndre Ayton. Um, he's extremely underrated. DeAndre Ayton quietly puts up a double-double almost every game in the playoffs in his first time in the playoffs. And he provides great defense too. So, so far for the postseason, no big deal. He's shooting 77% from the field. He's averaging 16 points and 10 rebounds per game. And he's playing solid defense too. So, and then I think more importantly in this series, he's keeping Jokic busy and he's making life harder for him. 
it's not like Jokic has been shut down by any means, but he's making Jokic expend a lot of energy on both ends, and he's making his life a lot harder. So I think that without DeAndre Ayton, I don't think the margins would be as big as they are. And then the other factor for the Nuggets is the Nuggets were relying on Michael Porter Jr. to be able to fill a very, very important um, primary role on offense. And it seems that he's at least somewhat nursing an injury to his back. Um, This game earlier in the pregame, he had his back iced the whole pregame routine. He tried to come out, um, do some warm-ups. He had the ice pack on. And then he had to go and do another ice routine on his back before the game um, with a cryo-freeze therapy session. But I think that when you look at him, you can tell that he's bothered. He's a better scorer than this. I mean, it's not like they're playing elite defense on him necessarily. They're leaving him open a lot. He's just not knocking it down. Um, He shot two of nine from three, three of 13 overall. If the Nuggets are going to make this series even and come back from being down two games like they did last postseason, which, I mean, to give the Nuggets credit, they have come back from two series before just in one postseason, last postseason, where they were down 0-2. But they had all their guns healthy at that point. And right now it seems they're really missing Murray given the fact that now that Porter Jr. isn't 100%, they don't really have another second option on offense that can consistently score the ball and take pressure off Jokic. So they're going to have to hope that Will Barton, who just returned to the lineup, can give them a boost and either fill in for Porter Jr. or that Porter can play through the pain or recover from that back strain that he's nursing. Yeah, I definitely think with Porter Jr., the back's always going to be concerned given the surgery that he had and Obviously, the Nuggets didn't take a risk uh, taking him, but it was definitely a calculated risk, and I think it's paid off. But it is exposing the fact that their uh, microwave off the bench in Jamal Murray is uh, not not present. So um, him not being there is definitely impacting the team overall, and we'll see if the Nuggets can turn it around. Uh, but to another exciting point guard, uh, Ice Trey was uh, another villain in the city of Philadelphia. First game came out, absolutely dismantled uh, the 76ers, although Joel Embiid did have a strong showing. Uh, They didn't win the game, did come back and get a game uh, in their home arena last game. But overall, what do you think of Atlanta stealing one? Obviously, Cuevo was uh, pretty pumped in the arena that day. Yeah, I think that it was really impressive what he did, not just that game, but this whole playoff series. Um, they're playing against a team that I would have thought probably was going to dominate them at the beginning of this playoffs, especially given the fact that we all thought that Joel Embiid was going to have at least more problems with his knee than he's had to this point. Um, It doesn't seem like whatever issue was ailing his knee is really impacting his production because that first game, he put up 40 points and 13 rebounds on 13 of 25 shooting two of five from three, 12 of 16 from the free throw. I mean, or in that, that, uh, that second game. So I don't really think that he's really having any lingering effects from whatever issue that was. But the fact that Trey Young was able to come in there and steal one against a healthy Sixers team is extremely impressive for him. Um, 
especially given the way that the season started for the Hawks as a team that looked like they were going to miss the playoffs, had to go through a coaching change. Lots of people have cast out on Trey Young and basically said that his style of play was too ball dominant um, and then basically froze his teammates out. And he's here leading his team to the second round and stealing one against a much higher seeded team in the 76ers. So I think that it's a testament to what he's been able to do. It's his first playoffs and he's putting up 30 points almost every game, almost 10 assists every game. He's honestly played great ball. And I think that the Hawks offense looks very explosive. It looks honestly about as good as any offense in the playoffs right now with the diversity of ways that they can score. Um, and they definitely have, I think, probably the most shooting depth of any team. They have shooters all over the place in the starting lineup, off the bench. You cannot sleep with these guys. You can't leave them open. So I think it's actually going to be an interesting series to watch. And I think that another interesting thing is just watching the whole Trey Young versus Luka Doncic dynamic. It seems that Trey Young officially becomes the first of the two to advance to the second round, which I don't think anyone would have expected to happen at the beginning of the season. So props to Trey Young. Um, it'll always be interesting to see how it pans out with who won the Trey Young, Luka Doncic trade. Was it the Mavericks? Was it the Hawks? At this point, Trey Young is making it a conversation. So I think it's been really awesome to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, those were their guys that they wanted. So I think that both teams are going to win um, overall. I think a point that you didn't touch on that I want to uh, give credit to as well, uh, Nate McMillan coming in after getting ousted from Indiana, joining Lloyd Pierce's staff, gets promoted to interim coach and has completely turned the club around. Um, and we, I, we talked about it from pr pretty much episode two of if Lloyd Pierce misusing the Hawks whether or not uh, he was going to see the end of the season. Nate McMillan, I think, has definitely earned this job in Atlanta for the foreseeable future. And you have to look at what Indiana did in firing him to get Nate Bjorken and then firing him today. So Indiana <laughs> definitely made a mistake on their part. He clearly couldn't get a hold of that locker room. Nate McMillan is clearly excelling in his role over with the Hawks. So I think that it clearly was a personnel issue and not a coach issue in Indiana. Um, so props to Nate McMillan. Yeah, that's true. I think he's a, he's a great coach and I think that it's very well deserved for him. Um, and I think that he has a great reputation around the league too. I think that just unfortunately he's just been on the wrong side of being the scapegoat for some situations on teams that honestly, it was not his fault that they didn't perform better. He just was given I mean, he did the best with the roster he was given. This probably arguably is maybe the most talented roster he's had if you're looking at it from top to bottom. So it's what happens when you put together good coaching with good players. So it'll be an interesting series to watch. And it'll be interesting to see if Ben Simmons can actually knock down his free throws as it's becoming a storyline and has honestly cost his team some late-game moments due to missed free throws. So it seems that as much as everyone likes to talk about Ben Simmons as a top player, the scrutiny right now on Ben Simmons is increasing because if people are starting to see him 
as a detriment in late game situations on offense for the Sixers. So I don't think you can have a superstar, in my opinion, that doesn't even average 18 points a game in the playoffs, no matter what he's doing. But I guess we'll, well see. I saw a funny tweet that uh, for with Ben Simmons of just like, can people stop the slander when the Sixers win and Ben Simmons doesn't score like 20 points? It's like, no, no, you're, people are going to continue the slander. Like you can have somebody on a team like Draymond Green, who is an offensive playmaker, but you need to have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson for that team to win a championship or Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. Like you need to have people who can score the ball. And so Ben Simmons is going to be that tertiary playmaker. Fine. That's great. He's a great on defense. Matisse Seibel, great on defense. Uh, and you just go ahead and have Joel Embiid with somebody else. It's obviously not Danny Green, but you need to have somebody else on that team that is a all-star caliber player who can score at will. Right. I think that I think that Sixers fans are just not understanding that when we criticize Ben Simmons, we're not saying he's not a good player. We're just saying he's nowhere near as good as everybody makes him out to be. Everybody makes him out to be like he is potentially a franchise player or a top two guy on a winning team for a championship team. I mean, I just, I don't see that for he's a guy. He's a taller Rajon Rondo. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's basically what it is. And he's I don't a great think- playmaker. The right. offense, when it flows through him, does extremely he's well. He's not a star. He's no star, but he's, though. And, but he has star potential. I just think that unless – He's had like, star potential Rock, <laughs> every year yeah. since he came into no, the league. I, he doesn't achieve I get it. it. Yeah. No, I get it. But talking about an actual star that you mentioned, uh, Luka Doncic ousted by Kawhi. They were up 3-2. The Mavs lost. Later, Mark Cuban said that Rick Carlisle's job is safe. You can change coaching, but you don't need to change the coach. Overall, I think the Mavs did well this year. They clearly have a personnel issue. And Luca, everybody's making jokes that he's like the new LeBron James with his supporting cast there. Kind of agree with that. Um, Josh Richardson has looked lost with the Mavs since that trade from Philadelphia. Uh, Porzingis has not been present really for any game, even when he's in the actual game. Um, so I think they definitely, Donnie Nelson, Mark Cuban, Rick Carlisle need to get together uh, this offseason, strategize and actually execute either a signing or a trade for a star player. Um, I think that with Portland, everything happening with CJ McCollum, maybe putting together a package for him to get him over uh, to Dallas. I think that they're there just needs to be some sort of shakeup to get Luca an actual running mate who's going to be a contributor to that team. Yeah, I, I really don't know um, where they're going to go from here. Obviously, there's a lot to address with their team, and I'll get into that in a second. But before we break that down, let's just give props where it's due. Luka Doncic probably put up the most impressive stat line that anyone will average in the playoffs for the rest of the playoffs um, for any series, no matter what you're talking about. He averaged 35.7 points per game, 10.3 assists per game, 7.9 rebounds per game, shot 49% from the field, 40.8% from three in seven postseason games. That's 
incredible. And to still lose, I mean, you can't blame him for anything. Like when he was asked what he's proved to this point, his response was nothing much yet because he really just feels like until he wins, he's not doing anything. But what he's doing is historic. No one is putting up his level of production. He probably had the least talented roster to work with of any team in the playoffs. And he still was able to make it a seven-game series against a team that, on paper, is honestly much more talented. And Kawhi Leonard is no joke. I mean, this guy has stole championships from LeBron. He stole championships from some of the best players in the world. He just so swipes it with that hand. He just he just he just snatches it, it from with you. a claw. Yeah, that's how he is. You know, this guy is an all-time great that he's going toe to toe against, forcing Kawhi Leonard to play some of his best ball. You know, Kawhi Leonard doesn't like to have to score that much if he doesn't have to. Forty-five points for Kawhi Leonard is what it takes. I mean, Kawhi Leonard had to go off game after game and play his best ball. Probably exerted himself more than he would like to um, in the first round. But and pandemic P not looking like a pandemic. Exactly. That's and that's the other storyline I think is funny. Um, Paul George, even though actually, he didn't look great in the last game with against, he didn't look great. <laughs> the thing is, what's funny is if you heard the fans cheering at him last game, just roasting him, playoff P, playoff P, you would think that he was having a terrible postseason, but he's actually putting up twenty three points per game. And he's averaging nine rebounds and 5.3 assists. So it's not like he's having a bad postseason. He's playing a solid Robin this year. He's showing Dwayne Wade going to uh, back to the Indiana days against the Heat. And he's just getting in Paul George's head, sitting at baseline. He's got the fans chanting things. I wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if him and Gab uh, pass out or put some stuff in the pamphlets saying, you know, scream these things out. But it's uh, crazy, man. I just wonder, what do you think it is? about Paul George that makes him so roastable? Why do fans want to roast him so bad? I can't even think about any reason why in particular he's never really done anything on the court or said anything so embarrassing that he put a target on himself. He's actually kind of a quiet guy, but it seems that for whatever reason, fans just love to get at this guy. Have what you, you seen the, like, 11-minute montage of him just getting yammed on by people in the NBA? I think he's just, like, like he doesn't <laughs> actively do things that make you, um, like, dislike him or he doesn't flop or he doesn't, like, anger fan bases by doing diva-style things. Like, he is a pretty low-key guy overall, but he just ends up being at the butt of the joke for something that is due to his performance or just those highlight, well, non-highlight moments of getting just posterized by everybody. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's the longest montage. I thought it was going to be something, too, where it was like a montage of, like, uh, multiple camera angles of each dunk. So I was like, there's got to be only, like, 10 in here. And it's quick clips. It's like five-second clips for 11 minutes. So that's like 132 different posters. It's, it's nuts. But see, the thing is, like, I just – I still don't really get it because even even with that, he still hands out his own fair share of posters. He yeah, got to – Handing out posters to other people. And when you say that there's 11 minutes of him being dunked on, 
I also see that as 11 minutes of him being willing to be dunked on by still playing the defense, even though he knows that people are probably going to roast him if he gets dunked on. He still goes it's fine, and tries but he doesn't again. have a Bam Adebayo or LeBron James. Let me stuff you at the rim, type of play that erases all those. If he had one of those, like I'm sure Bam has been yammed on a ton. I'm sure that LeBron has been dunked on a ton. But you don't talk about those things because they have those monstrous blocks at the rim. I haven't really seen Paul George do that that often. At least not to the degree of how much he gets yammed on. Well, <laughs> I, I, I can see it from that angle. I just think that there's a lot of other players in the league that probably you could give more abuse to. And Paul George probably receives a disproportionately high amount of abuse based on the content that he puts out for being abused. So I'm not sure what it is, but I'm sorry, Paul George. The people just don't like you. And I guess they just root for you to be a failure whenever – you catch the ball. I'm not sure well, why, but. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, you know, talking about somebody getting roasted and uh, talking about Paul George and people uh, judging what he does. I think we can move on to our final segment of the deposition where we take in a uh, Twitter or a tweet uh, over the weekend. Um, and so there were uh a lot of tweets, so I will just paraphrase these, um, that were related to Tyler Hero now announcing that he will be becoming a father. And the way that this draws parallels is to Paul George, who knocked up a uh, stripper when he was a young lad in the NBA. Um, and so Paul George, oh while he was electric when he was younger, obviously has gotten better as he has matured and uh, settled down and is more low key about things. I think Tyler Hero is uh, in his second year enjoying Miami. And while he did make slight improvements in some areas, you could tell that it wasn't the major jump uh, that most expected with a lot of people, including the Heat organization concerned with his off the court extracurriculars. So let's, uh, let's delve a little bit deeper into Tyler Hero and his uh, off-the-court endeavors. Well, I mean, to summarize it, essentially what's going on here is if you're from Miami and you're a little bit more familiar with the city, you've probably known for months the rampant rumors that have been going around that Tyler Hero had probably gotten his Instagram uh, crazed girlfriend pregnant during the season. And even though it wasn't something that was confirmed until recently when they shared um, a photo of him embracing his girlfriend while pregnant, um, everyone basically knew about it because in Miami, rumors are rumors, everyone talks, and especially when you're girlfriend basically survives and lives off of a business that is related to being seen on Instagram and she's dropping hints. So a lot of people felt like Tyler, not just related to his girlfriend, was just focused on the wrong things. During the off season, he was focused a little bit too much on being famous, a little bit too much on promotional deals and 
being with um, someone who's always encouraging you to build your brand, build your brand the way that social media influencers do. And probably, you know, the prospect of being a 21 year old, still a kid yourself, and now having to deal with the fact that you're also going to be having a kid are probably things that aren't going to allow you to focus on getting better at basketball because, I mean, those are bigger life events. I mean, if you're going to have a child, that's probably a more major event in your mind than playing basketball. And rightfully, it should be. But the whole point of the, the thing on Twitter is people that probably don't know um, what's going on behind the scenes as well, just casual fans from other cities were essentially calling out Heat fans for not being more excited for the news of the birth of his child. They essentially felt like a lot of the comments that were being made um, by Heat fans were just not right, that they should be happy that he's having a baby, et cetera, et cetera. And basically Heat fans and myself basically uh, said, there's not really anything for Heat fans to be excited about. It's obviously not going to help his basketball career. And as much as you wish his baby the best of luck and health and all that, as a fan, it's not your baby. Your baby is the team that you root for. And you probably as a fan are realizing that if he's a 21 year old who is unexpectedly, cause I mean, let's be real. They had been dating what, six to seven months and are already pregnant. I would imagine that probably wasn't by design. For a 21-year-old, having to deal with that on the side, also trying to build your brand, um, being with a social media influencer type who encourages you to always be in the spotlight, these things usually don't help young players develop their game, which is why the Heat organization was openly concerned about his um off the court lifestyle. And I don't want to look into anything too much. I don't want to be that guy that's like, well, a like means this. And if you don't like it, it means that. But if you guys notice back when Tyler Hero was thriving, it was around the same time that he was always hanging out with his team. Everything was team this. Uh, Jimmy Butler with his Tyler Tuesdays. They had a great, you know, big brother, little brother bond. Everybody was always seeing him in the gym. Anytime that you'd see the Heat Twitter or Heat social media, it'd be him and the players doing something. Um, and then slowly but surely, it seemed like you didn't really hear Jimmy Butler say anything about Tyler Tuesdays. You didn't really see the camaraderie as much. What you did start seeing a lot more, though, was Tyler posting, doing promo events, um, doing things with his, with his Instagram girlfriend, which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a player doing what he wants in his spare time. But if you're trying to always be in the spotlight, that's probably taking away time from what you should be doing on the court. If you noticed any time that his teammates would like his photos, they would generally not like the photos that she was in. I mean, you can check this yourself. Like, I don't think Jimmy Butler even liked the picture that he shared of him pregnant with his girlfriend because probably as a veteran player, who's just trying to win a championship, he's probably thinking, I wish him the best of luck with his child, but he's a child who's now having a child and that's probably not great 
for his basketball development or for the ceiling of my team, which is ultimately what they care about. I mean, let's be real. I know it's not politically correct to say, oh, he shouldn't. It's not all basketball. It's not all, you know, it's not all about the game. The birth of his child matters a lot. Yes, the birth of his child matters a lot to him and the people involved. As fans, yes, you, you're happy for him. You want everything to be great. But first and foremost, what you want is for your team to win. And you know that probably a 21-year-old having a child right now in the middle of the season with a social media influence or girlfriend are probably not going to be the best things for player development. It is what it is. Well, I will play a little bit of devil advocate here. And I think that there are examples in the recent NBA where players have had increased level of production or have become better players after having a child at a very young age. You have Jason Tatum having done it and you have Lonzo Ball having done it. Um, also, LeBron James had Bronny when he was very young. The differentiator where I'll start to agree with you a little bit with those players having kids at a very young age when they're supposed to be touted as these all-stars is I feel that their girlfriends were much more low key or Beyonce's wives, whatever they were, are now. They were also um, in established relationships. Those, exactly. Those, yeah. So they were planned. They're all long-term relationships that maybe they were, maybe they weren't planned. I don't know, but well, irrespective established. of that, it's, yeah. It's a much more established relationship, something that is more long-term. It is not somebody who is in the spotlight, who is trying to up her clout overall. Um, and who, you know what? Tyler Hero and Katia can be together possibly for the next 100 years or however old they live to be. But I just think it might change things. Obviously, they're going to have a kid. It'll be nice, lovely, whatever. But it might change things if Tyler, say, gets traded to the Timberwolves or gets traded to, uh, I don't know, Milwaukee or gets traded to OKC. I don't know who that he would trade him for, but just as examples of if you end up going to a city where your brand isn't as marketable, both from a player and a female girlfriend, fiance perspective, is that something you do you want to just chill in OKC and not really have clubs or influencer parties or things that you can go to or things that you can make yourself more marketable in those cities? It's just those small market teams are not going to do it, I think, um, for her. So wish them all the best. I hope it all works out. But I just think that uh, similar to what you're saying, like Jimmy Butler had, a, I think, his first child relatively recently. It was right when he signed with the Heat. Um, and he, he went to the bubble and he was like, my, my kid's not coming. I don't want any distractions. And so it's, there are sacrifices that need to be made by these players. Um, and I think what you're talking about with Jimmy, is he sees these things unfolding, he knows the sacrifices that he's made that he continues to make. Um, and those distractions that other players, notably his protege really on this team, um, is having are taking away from what he thought was developing into a future him um, or even better than him. Yeah, honestly, um, what you said was accurate. There are some players that are able to handle all of those things. Um, it just, 
it seems like maybe for Tyler, it was a little bit tougher. I mean, he originally is from a small town. Um, coming to a big city like Miami and rising to fame, really a meteoric rise um, from a relatively unknown name. I mean, the Heat fans didn't even know who he was on draft night when he got picked. No one had even heard of him. From there to then, endorsement deals and Tyler Tuesday Bulls at Chipotle in only a season was, I mean, nothing short of a meteoric rise. I think it was unprecedented. Um, so probably for him, it's a little different than for some of those other players like LeBron or Tatum, who were already in the spotlight all this time and were already used to being constantly in the eye of the public um, because they had always been highly touted. Hero, on the other hand, was a player who was just tasting this level of exposure out of nowhere all of a sudden. And so maybe for him, um, it was a little bit harder to deal with all of that for that reason. But I wish him the best of luck now that he maybe has had more time to acclimate um, to his growing popularity and also to evaluate what, his, what it's going to take to essentially be successful on the court too. Um, he'll approach next season with that in mind and be better at managing his on-court responsibilities with what, it, what, is, what is required as a player to improve and also handle all the off-the-court things that he wants to do. So I hope that it's just a sophomore slump and you can write it off as that. But um, I, I really do think that if he comes in next season and he turns in a third season where he's not improving and he's basically hovering around the same numbers that he did in years one and two, the Heat will probably be looking to trade him because they'll probably be looking at him as a Kuzma-type situation um, if that happens. And it, it wouldn't necessarily mean that he wouldn't succeed somewhere else um, it could just mean that maybe for him, Miami wasn't ideally the right place. It's not a city that everyone can play in because you have to be a player that is willing to tune out distractions to play in cities like Miami, cities like New York, cities that offer a lot of off-court temptation. You need to have a certain resolve mentally to be able to play through that and stay focused. It's not like being an OKC where you can just say, hey, all I got to do here is hoop. There's really nothing else to do. So I'm just going to focus on my craft. Not the case in cities like this. So I hope that um, it'll serve this season, not as a, a season for growth only in his game on the court, but also mentally for him on what it takes to balance his off-court endeavors and on-court responsibilities. I agree. Well, I think unless you're James Harden, then... Uh, I agree with you on those points. But if you're James Harden, you can do whatever you want. But with that, it's the end of our show. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Court is adjourned. <laughs>